Hey, what's up? Can you hear me? Hey, how you doing, man? This is going to be our first good, episode dude. of Talks with Chalbe. <laughs> totally unscripted. <laughs> yeah, totally unscripted, unadulterated. So, uh, actually, I just left NBC Universal for this job interview. Oh, yeah, how'd that go? Uh, it was interesting. It was more of like a demand planning thing uh, for DVD sales, which is definitely not glamorous, but I guess it's an end. Uh, one thing I can definitely say is the culture there was a lot better than Forever 21. I mean, I <laughs> we never talked uh, about the Forever 21. Uh, <laughs> I didn't tell you how they wanted me to quit school. No, we didn't. Uh, we never caught up. You were just talking about how you were going into it with an open mind, and then we never talked about what actually happened. Yeah, no. It, uh, yeah, I mean, basically, um, his underlings really liked me when they interviewed me. They pulled in the uh, senior hiring manager, like, after about 15 minutes, and he's like, yeah, they really like you but I want someone who's going to be fully devoted to this role, um, you know, and just wondering how important it is to you. And I was like, well, you know, I'm flexible. I, uh, I can take night classes, but I don't plan on finishing school. And he also too, the interesting thing was I'd never been in an interview where he didn't ask me a single question. He just lectured me on 40 minutes about what he was looking for and how important his this role was. So that was uh, that was very different too, and both those things, you know, kind of played out to where uh, between the lecture and the fact he wanted me to quit school, I was like, I don't really care if they offer me the job yeah. now, you know, because I don't think that it'll be the right yeah, fit. That's lame. So, yeah, um, but this place was a lot nicer, man. And uh, the only my only fear would be is that, again, the role is really pretty steeped in like supply chain and operations, particularly the logistics. And I just really have no long term interest in that. I mean, to me, I would really look at it as just a foot in the door. I mean, that's always positive reps, right? You always come away with something. But definitely definitely the work environment there is a lot a lot nicer people are way more laid back they were flexible with the schooling um just in general people seem happier (laughs) so yeah that's good so yeah what are you up to today catch some steaks that's for tomorrow and throughout the weekend yeah i'm about to go to the gym here in a little bit i had to do the emissions test for the car and just cleaning up stuff Word them up. What's in the news today? I haven't Me neither, even checked honestly. yet. I've been, uh, it's, I was at that friggin' place for super long. The emissions thing, that shit sucks. But it's important. I think the only, I think the only thing I saw was uh, the fact that, like, everyone is just confused uh, with how Trump is treating our allies in yeah. NATO. I was like the yeah, only thing so I, I was listening to a podcast about that while I was uh, driving around. And yeah, he's that's what he does. That's the one of the biggest problems with Trump is that you don't know what he's actually doing. 
and he says so much nonsense that you don't know what's serious and what's not. And so it does seem like he's, uh, he's, they do have a valid reason to be concerned that he might be thinking about leaving NATO altogether. Do you, uh, do you think that this is something that will actually finally alienate some of his supporters? I mean, even his own staff in that meeting were kind of making faces like, I can't believe this guy saying this. Uh, I don't know, because they're also aligned with the, with the Trumpism. It's become the rallying cry of the party, so I don't know. Because, I, I mean, how many times do, does the line keep getting pushed back? I don't know what it's going to actually take. Does your so like somebody like your mom who's a casual Trump supporter, does she um she just not talk about it? Or does she ever chime in with the, any opinions on stuff not like this? Really. I think we would have to talk about it. I think we would have to actually bring that up. Cause usually we just talk about the stuff we agree on. I find that's always easier when uh when you're talking to someone and it's like, you know, let's just start with what we do agree on. And then we can start from a common ground. What 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 common ground have you guys? Well, found I recently? think we're against abolishing ICE because that makes no sense. I mean, the enforcement of the border policy and the disingenuous coverage by the media on what's actually happening at the border. I think I think we can agree on that. Word. I think the only other thing I saw today was the um, Kylie oh Jenner thing about how, yeah, she's worth like 900, 900, what is it, 900 million? And then uh, somebody, I saw some other articles say she's not really worth 900 yeah, million. Yeah, I think that's just a company valuation. What is, do you know, like, what she's making money from? Is it just, like, Instagram photos? I think or? it's a whole bunch of things, but I think she has a makeup company. I think Rihanna's making a stupid amount of money with makeup as well. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't even realize how big of an industry makeup was until uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, Alex, you know, uh, my wife, she... Uh, told me that I should invest in Estee Lauder. And of course, like every amazing husband, I didn't do it, my wife said. <laughs> and <laughs> it actually has grown quite a bit. Um, and then like being in the marketing program here at USC, the women are really, really into the makeup. Um, it's just, yeah, it's crazy to me. I didn't realize like how much, um, you know, how much out of pocket they're paying for these things. Um yeah, it's, it's insane. Kind of... I don't think I've ever I, I don't think I've ever heard Kylie Jenner talk. <laughs> I've avoided that on purpose. <laughs> Wasn't she dating that tiger she guy was, dude for a while? It was, I stay away from stuff like that. I, like it does come across my radar just being uh immersed in media and what's going on and then stuff that relates to hip hop, but as soon as it gets Kardashian or satellite Kardashian related, I'm like, nope. I don't want to know this. I don't want to have this in my brain. So as somebody who um, looks up like hip hop related things, 
articles and news. How often would you say it relates back to the Kardashians these days as opposed to the, let's say, a decade um, ago? I'll... <laughs> There's, it, they're inescapable at this point, which is kind of brilliant marketing. I don't know what they're marketing, but they're marketing the shit out of it. And because, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, they, they've got all of the, uh, the arms covered, all the arms of, of urban media because they're either dating NBA players or football players or artists. And one, I think she had a kid with Travis Scott, Kylie Jenner did. That might be his retirement plan. Who knows? It might go this <laughs> I definitely know that. I definitely know uh, Cardi B is offset oh, retirement yeah. plan. That's for sure. Every time I see them, she looks so happy to be with him, and he looks so happy that he's got a retirement plan. <laughs> he's like, I don't understand this shit either. But I mean, <laughs> it's not a bad situation. It's like I got million dollar baby. Have in a baby there right by now. me, baby. Be a millionaire. <laughs> Uh, oh, I got one other one for you that you're probably tracking and I have no clue what's going on with. So what's the fallout from the Drake baby thing? Um, I think people are over it just as soon, as soon as they started caring about it, they became over it just like that. So, <clears throat> um, yeah, I, it seems like he's doing his UK press run. I feel like it's kind of interesting how much time he spends over there and his kind of weird connection with the UK rap scene but then again it kind of makes sense because people are starting to think Drake is corny over here and everybody in the UK rap scene is kind of corny so that it just kind of works so you think he's losing some yeah, of his fan base I think he is because it's getting to a point where we're all we're all getting to that point where we're looking at Drake's music and it's like it's still really good but I, I see your point as to why you think he's doing some cornball shit regularly well uh, so for uh, listeners who don't know what what Chaba is talking about right now um, I have been a Drake fan both of us have been Drake fan for a long time uh, and I do like Drake but it definitely felt like it got to the point where he's putting out music just to be putting out music, um, especially with that song Work With Rihanna, um, where, to my knowledge, Drake has absolutely no Caribbean roots um, and, for the most part, has blown up because of amazing verses and, and or uh, kind of a, a great R&B voice. That song Work could have been written by a five-year-old. And I just think that Drake is starting to make songs that sound more like work. Well, that song was written by Party Next Door. And, and Drake hopped on it. And that there was some controversy behind that because they were saying that he was kind of sucking up all the air in the room. That's why they call OVO the sweatshop. Because uh, all the artists over there, like The Weeknd and Party Next Door, they, there's like rumblings that he's taking all their best work. And I actually disagree with the whole Caribbean thing. Even though he's not Caribbean himself, Toronto has a massive Caribbean population, so I see why he would relate to that culture. And Toronto hip-hop is definitely Caribbean 
a heavily Caribbean influence. And I, I totally get that and I agree, but I just wouldn't say that Drake is somebody that I want to hear that sound. I from. think it sounds good. I, I actually like right? it. I don't mind Jamaican Drake. Do you, so would you say <laughs> Jamaican yeah, I don't Drake? Yeah, I don't know. I just I don't know if I'm I'm if I'm a fan, man. I think the main way that I came to Drake was more like kind of the soul, the soul sound, um, and I'm like I wouldn't say that that's the main reason why. I, I wouldn't even say one that I dislike Drake or two that it's uh, the main reason why I dislike Drake. I would just say that I feel that there's an arc to great art, right? And there's an arc to celebrity. And it seems like Drake is getting to the point where he's so, so much believes in his own celebrity that he no longer is being intentional in either his artistic or personal decisions as shown by the baby situation. Well, I think, and by the musical choice. Yeah. There's an argument for that. The fact that he's just making music for the sake of making music. And I can see why a lot of people would be disappointed with the album and him not addressing all of the various herd of elephants in the room, but which he kind of glossed over. And as a fan, I wasn't really too upset about that. It's like, let's just get back to the music. And then uh, there's a rumor floating around that he has a whole nother full length album ready to go as soon as he signs with whoever he signs with next because he's out of the Young Money deal. So that'll be interesting. I thought he was. Already, I thought he was already out of the Young Money deal after he did. Uh, if you're leading, if you're reading no. this is too so late. He was out of the deal after, or whatever deal he's in now. He's he was out of it as soon as he dropped the double disc album. Okay. Is there anybody else on the horizon? What do you mean? Like, is there anybody else coming out with an anticipated album? Right I don't now? know, because we kind of had a music overload this summer. So I don't even know who would be left. Rihanna hasn't. What do you mean by I music? Because I mean, everybody dropped. Everybody except Big Sean and Wale. As far as, like, the top tier, the rappers that we anticipate every year in the summertime, there really hasn't. Those are the only two I can think of off the top of my head. You know, I was... I was going to ask you about Wale yesterday, in fact, because I was just thinking about that. I was like, man, Wale was like going in this direction where he was going to be like kind of the sleeper, this sleeper domestic hit. You know what I'm saying? Like representing this certain. Uh, oh, I can't turn here. Um, representing this kind of like sleeper urban demographic, right? Where it's like definitely too hip hop for straight R&B, but then too R&B for like. Um, I would say mainstream hip hop. Um, but that last album he did just seemed like it completely flopped. Um, and then, like you said, he didn't drop one this summer. So I've kind of been what's, wondering what's going on with yeah, that. Yeah, so I think you could reference like the False Prophet song. I think he still has that complex where he doesn't understand why he's not the biggest artist in hip hop. And I feel like he needs to be a little bit more true to what he's good at. Is the last album I feel like he took a lot of risks conceptually and was ahead of a couple of different curves like doing a song with Jay Balvin 
he hopped on that train that I've been saying people need to hop on doing songs with these Latin artists that are getting billions of YouTube hits with their songs that I'm saying you need to hop on that wave while you can. He was one of the first artists to do that. Now everybody's doing it. But uh, it didn't hit. It seems like he was chasing hits, and Wale's not a person that can do that effectively. He needs to go back into his bag like he did with the uh, the album about nothing, the mixtape about nothing. He needs to kind of go back into that bag yeah. and just do what he does creatively and understand that his fans will gravitate towards it. And I honestly think that he has the potential, depending on what his next project is, to be the East Coast rapper. When he first came out, I thought, uh, this guy is really trying to, like you said, kind of like chase a hit. Um, and it wasn't really landing, but then it felt like he kind of just was like, no, screw that. I'm just going to like really represent DC. And that's when he started to take off. And, um, I really do hope that he decides to get back to that. Like, Hey, look, I'm just representing the East coast and particularly, uh, the mid Atlantic. And this is our culture and this is our way of doing things because it's, it's definitely a market niche that I don't see anybody else doing, you know? Yeah, and he could capitalize off of that, but it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be hitting the charts in the way that he wants to see, which is unfortunate. Word, word. But that's just the state of of music these days. So who's doing who's doing great things in right hip-hop? now? This week, who are you doing? And just in general, who's doing great things? That's a good question. I'm excited for Insecure to come back. Um, as far as uh, popular TV shows, I've heard that Power is, is uh, falling off pretty hard, which is not surprising. People are complaining that the writing is just terrible, and I thought the writing was terrible from day one. So I don't know. We're, it's it's going to be quiet after this Drake album, just media in general, I think, entertainment-wise. I think there's some new uh, some new television shows dropping. But yeah, in terms of music, I don't know. I still need to listen to that new Childish Gambino oh, that dropped do, yeah. last week. It, it further about. illustrates that you were right about him needing to play Marvin Gaye. Even though I am biopic, to peak biopic, I don't want to see any more of them. I feel like he's the only person that could do it. And if they are going to do the Marvin Gaye uh, bio, whatever the fuck, it should definitely be Donald Glover that plays him. He's definitely in that bag. And his it, he has these two summer theme songs that are out. And they're both really good. I like both of them. I mean, so you said you're myopic about him or that you don't want to see any more of him. You just feel like he's oversaturated right now in terms of all the different uh, I didn't channels say that biopic. he's in. I, I said biopic. I might be saying that wrong. Is it biopic? Like... Oh, okay. Biopic. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. <laughs> so now we've got that cleared up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, no, don't yeah. worry. So, what was, what was your no. question again? Well, so so you're saying you do or you do not? I mean, like, obviously, you said he would be the best person yeah. to play that movie. But do you feel like, uh, in terms of the rest of the stuff, do you feel like he's doing what? like what he needs to be doing or I, I thought I heard you say something along the lines of you feel like you're seeing too no, much not of too him. much of him I'm seeing too much of the biopic 
like the All Eyes on Me, where they got a guy who could not play Tupac, but looked so freakishly much like him that they felt like it was a missed opportunity not to do it. And I'm just tired of seeing that. It was a horrible movie. And I just don't want to see that happen again. Like, every artist doesn't need to have a movie. Let's try some new shit. I don't, I right. don't want to well, see Donald Glover do that. I feel like he is at the cutting edge, and in order to stay there, let's stop doing the nostalgia bullshit. I don't want to see another freaking Star Wars. Just stop. Okay, so I, I totally agree that there's too many Star Wars. You know that I totally agree that there's far too many Avengers. Um, I think that there could be maybe one more Fast and the Furious movie, there's but then it needs to end. Um, <laughs> but in terms of the whole Marvin Gaye biopic thing, so yes, again for our listeners, uh, I've really been advocating for this this Marvin Gaye biopic and 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 having Donald Glover play him because he's he's got that whole another person he could play very well would be Al Green, you know, kind of seventies soul look. He's got the falsetto voice, uh, very experimental. Um, you know, natural type of guy. And also the beard, too. I mean, the beard is on point for uh, Marvin Gaye. The reason why I think Marvin Gaye needs to be done is because he's such a pivotal person in, I would say, soul and black music, and really not even just um, black music, but in the transformation from kind of the clean-cut 50s and 60s to the more artistic and open period of the seventies. And there's nobody else that engendered or embodied uh, that transition more than Marvin Gaye. And I find it bizarre that we've had biopics about like the Rolling Stones or people in the eighties. We've even had a lot of different seventies period picks, but we don't talk about the relevance or like, for example, James Brown and get on up, but we don't talk about the relevance of Marvin Gaye. And of all the different artists um, of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, I would arguably say he is the most uh, influential when it comes to soul, R&B music, and then from there, everyday, modern-day pop. I don't think you'd have a Justin Timberlake if it wasn't for Marvin Gaye. Yeah, period. so you would you, you say know? that the neo-soul sound came from Marvin Gaye? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you had this very tight... Um, kind of like romantic sound in the 50s and 60s and nobody really broke it down and said okay uh, you basically let's put hippie music in R&B nobody did that until uh, Marvin Gaye showed up and I think he, he completely inspired uh, music soul child and uh, Lauren Hill and the whole even just the socially conscious hip-hop music I mean um there was plenty of samples that came from Marvin Gaye songs. And um, I just think it's a, a big miss for American culture um, if we don't tell that story, and especially since that story was cut short to begin with. And in even that part of the story, the fact that he was killed by his own father and uh, how that resonates to a certain extent with the Black experience in America and uh, issues of fatherhood. Um, I just think it's a story that needs to be told and needs to be told well. I know that they tried to come out with a, a version of it with, I think, one of the guys from NYPD Blue. 
uh, one of the detectives on that show, and he played Marvin Gaye, but it, it was like this low-budget version. It was like maybe a half-a-million-dollar film, and I think when you do that, when you do Marvin Gaye, you need to do it the right way. You need to have the money that they had in Ray. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? If you're going to do it, it has to be done right. And I, I think, yeah, I agree with everything you just said, and I think uh, that's the difference. Like, you've seen uh, the Aaliyah one. I didn't watch it, but the uh, what was the other one? The other low budget one about TLC, where it's just it's not doing their legacy any favors. They're coming out with a TLC oh, biopic with uh, the my lips my lipstick is popping girl playing left eye, and that was enough for me to just never want to watch another biopic again. When did this happen? Years ago, it was horrible. Was it like direct to HBO? No, or no, no, no. Or it was on uh, one of those MTV channels, I think, or Lifetime or some bullshit. Oh, so it was yeah. made for TV film. Got it. Got it. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I totally, you know, to build on what you said before, if Tupac is going to get a biopic, if TLC is going to get a biopic, it makes no sense to not talk about Marvin yeah. Gaye. Uh, yeah, and oh, man, we'll just see where it goes. Uh, you know, I'm kind of a fuddy duddy, and I'm trying to being out here in LA. I'm trying to get rid of my fuddy duddiness. <laughs> I um, don't know what that means. And get and get what the fuddy duddy, uh, just kind of like a fogey, or kind of like you know, it's like getting more confusing. It's. <laughs> You know, I just grew up real traditional, man. As much as I as I would hate to admit it, man, I just was raised by uh, by parents that had some very traditional values. And in fact, you know, like yesterday, uh, you know, when my sister in law just showed up at my uh, apartment at seven o'clock in the morning, banging on doors, you know, uh, I was talking to my wife about it <clears throat> later in the day. By the way, for my for our listeners, my sister in law lives in Arizona. <laughs> And apparently she just decided that she wanted to visit and so showed up at 7 a.m. Um, and I was talking to my wife about it later in the day and I was like, you know, it just was so bewildering to me, I realized, because I don't know if you were raised this way in D.C., but the way I was raised was like my parents told me you don't even call people before 9 a.m. unless they're expecting you to call. Like, that's just rude. You know, and you definitely don't show up at people's house that at that early in the morning demanding to be a guest. And my wife was kind of like, well, you know, my my parents would show up and surprise me from time to time. And I'm like, it's so such a different culture. I don't know. I don't. Can you comment on that? I mean, and you have Caribbean family as well. So, like, have you? I think the rules are weird. I think it's kind of the opposite where. where they invite you and then when you show up they're all surprised <laughs> like there's no one at the door the last time i uh i visited family in uh in dc i went with uh, a couple of the navy buddies and we they knew we were coming and we showed up and the front door was just open and nobody was <laughs> so we just <laughs> went inside and waited for someone else to get home it was weird but i mean <laughs> we're a little more flexible with that i think we try to be courteous ahead of time and make plans but also we don't expect everybody to do that either 
I, I know one of my, uh, my buddies who was from Congo, he was, his whole philosophy is if you're my friend, I'm going to be offended if you call before you show up or if you even knock on the door. He was like, just walk in. What are you doing? Interesting. Yeah, no, like my family was not like that at all, especially my father raised out in Colorado. Uh, but also being raised in the South, I, I think it's a combination of both. Uh, but, you know, growing up, he always said family are like fish. Uh, it stinks after three days, you know. So uh, <laughs> I just, I don't know. I was just definitely not raised. Like I wouldn't even go over to my dad's house before telling him I was coming first. I, I probably wouldn't go over my mom's house before, t- just because I'd, I want to be, I want to know that I'd be able to get in to begin with. You know what I'm saying? Because my parents locked yeah. the doors. <laughs> but even then, like, you know, I don't want to walk into my, on something going on with my parents, you know what I'm saying? Or like, I don't know what's going on in their life. They might have a whole lot of, you know, so I, I, I guess I see where people are coming from, but I just, I guess I didn't realize that was a thing that you just show up and expect people are going to drop everything for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's fair. Uh, it's, it's fair to feel away about that for sure. Especially when, uh, yeah, you're super so busy. So I guess to relate it back, these are the ways that I feel like I'm kind of traditional. And so, uh, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out this, uh, this new world of uh, the millennial majority uh, because it's so bizarre. I mean, we all grew up together, um, but I've noticed that like millennials that are raised were raised by baby boomers and millennials that were raised by generation Xers are very different types of people. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Cause your parents are what? When were they born? Five. Yep, both of them. Five days apart. So they're like one gener. They're like one year into Generation X, I think. So I think Generation X is like sixty-five to like seventy-nine or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, they're kind of on the cusp. Yeah. Just like we're kind of, I say we're. Where do we fall as far as millennials? Is the cutoff nineteen eighty? We're like. Super, we're like super old millennials. I think the first year is a, yeah, like 1980 or 1983. Yeah, so we're closer to the far end of millennials. Yeah. And just the, yeah. And uh, that's... Oh, I go was going to say, there's going to be a divide between all the generations, but I mean, people already kind of understand that there's a massive gap between us and the younger millennials, and then even more so between Generation Z. So I think it remains to be seen how we interact together when we get more Generation Z folks in the workplace. Because we didn't grow up with this stuff. I think they're starting technology. to... I, I think the older generations are starting to realize that, but it's definitely slow. And it's, it's really frustrating when they try to use millennials as a slur. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly when, like... You're absolutely right. When me and you were college graduation age was the height of the recession, which is the exact opposite of the baby boomers who, when they were college graduation age, um, was like the beginning of the Reagan years. You know what I'm saying? And things started to take off. 
Um, so, like I said, I think there are some some older generations that are starting to make that delineation. And I think us as older millennials are definitely seeing it um, because we just didn't grow up in a time that of any kind of financial stability or security um, compared to those millennials that are maybe five to six years younger and they entered the workforce in, let's say, 2012, 2013, when things started to be on and cracking. Yeah, I think people have a hard time across generations putting themselves in other people's shoes. So there's too much of a, I'd say people are too quick to devalidate someone's point by just saying, by comparing it to their own experience. So they're like, well, it wasn't that hard for me when I did it. So you're, you must be flawed in some way. And I don't think that's helpful at all because you see it with people just devalidating like long form news articles. And they're just like, well, I don't think that's true because that didn't happen to me. So therefore your point is invalid. And I'm like, no, that's not how it works. When you say devalidating, you're talking about the content. Yeah, of the they're, they're trying to say that the point is invalid because in their own experience, they don't see things that way. This didn't happen to me. I didn't experience X, so therefore it must not be true. It's the same thing as you saw with the Task and Purpose article where people, every time they rerun it, there's people coming out and saying that this generation is just soft. And I'm like, well, that's just not accurate. You were in the, you were in the military at an entirely different time. A lot of them were in during peacetime. If you if you all have not read uh, Drew Chabay's Task and Purpose article, what's the name of the article? One more time. I don't even Drew. remember. It's it's on there. <laughs> it was, I, don't go on there and comment. Just read it. Shut up. <laughs> Drew talks about his time in the in the Navy. He's a enlisted man for four years, ended up going to the fleet um, and becoming a gunner's mate. Uh, and so he talks a little bit about uh, his life at sea and, uh, and how he saw millennials coping with uh, the current environment uh, and uh, comments on kind of the current management um, by Navy, by uh, what would you call it? Like the Navy command structure? Yeah, it was more so people falling through the cracks. It's kind of, uh, you, have, you remember that movie, A Few Good Men? And yeah. at the end of that movie where they kind of realized that even though they everybody was doing what they thought was best for the service, that they realized they had done something wrong by by allowing a weaker guy to be bullied and to kind of fall behind because that's, there's that thin the yeah. mentality. I was just saying, hey, maybe we need to take a look at this, and if there are people that can't adjust to this lifestyle, we can't just forget that they exist or tell them to suck it up. Some people can't. So that's uh, definitely on task and purpose now. You can also find it um... – on Facebook, on their Facebook. Well, I just got home, man. I'm uh, going to hop in here and make some lunch before I go and uh, pick up Alex and head to school for the day. But uh, I think this was fun. I think we should do this yeah, again. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we should talk more about a structure and get some talking points going. 
Yeah, for sure. And in fact, um, if you're using uh, this uh, medium, the anchor medium, you can in fact leave a voice message um, for us on the podcast and just ask us questions about things you uh, might want to have us answer. You know, I'm a, a B school graduate um, going for a second master's. I was a, a, a naval linguist, and before that, I worked in digital marketing. Marketing. Drew, uh, his undergrad is in journalism, and he's currently in Colorado. Um, and before that, he worked as a gunner's mate in the Navy. Um, so, if you have any questions about any of those things, clearly, you know, hip hop culture, film, uh, music, um, generational issues. Uh, economics issues, general American culture issues, let us know. Yes, indeed. We'll talk about it. But in the meantime, thank you for listening and have a good day.